0: Hi podcast listeners and welcome to the 27th of August 2020 Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. We spend a frankly obscene amount of our lives working. Until this year, that could mean that you spent more time with your work colleagues than with your partner, family or friends. While that might have changed somewhat, it's still the norm in much of our world. And while we think this week on how carefully we choose our partners and friends, and yet how we spend more of our time with people we don't get to choose, we'll be listening to Charles's story about his working choices. After Charles's story, we'll hear from Janita about her working conditions at a different time. Before we get to today's stories, though, a large and open hug goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We really appreciate your support and encouragement. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well. Today, particularly to listeners in Kelvin Grove in Australia, Chesterfield in the UK, and Seoul in South Korea. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Now, life can be confusing, but storytelling shouldn't be. If you struggle in it, we will help to guide you through. In October this year, we'll be hosting the second annual Student Story Slam, where Hong Kong students are invited to tell their stories on our stage, or maybe because of COVID in our recording booth. We're inviting students to learn to tell their true first-person stories with the help and guidance of seasoned storytellers on the theme of Seconds. If you have an idea, or you'd like to get yourself or your students involved, get in contact through our website, hongkongstories.com. Stories should be submitted by the end of September by following the links in the email. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now with a story from our January 2020 show with the theme, Ready, Steady, Go, here is Charles.
1: Having graduated with a degree in English Language and Literature, I had no clue what I exactly wanted to do. So I applied for various posts in different sectors. Retail banking, hotel management, civil service, publishing, hoping I could figure that out. And I ended up as a customer service officer in HSBC. Central branch, the one on Pedder Street. (laughs) It was a real joy because I met people from all walks of life, but it was also a pain in the ass because I always struggled with meeting that impossible sales target and handling customers' complaints. So a few years later, there was an internal transfer program, and I signed up for it. And in April last year, my application was approved, and I was transferred to the back office. The back office was like paradise. No sales quota to carry, no difficult customers to deal with. My boss and colleagues never pulled a long face when I made mistakes. The tasks I handled were no sweat, and the workload was much less. I knock off on time every day. So I had a whole evening on my hands to kill. So I joined swimming classes, watched Netflix shows, and practiced my English in Hong Kong Stories workshops. (laughs) So thanks to this job, I found a perfect balance between work and life. And I thought it would be awesome working here until I retired. One day, a man dressed in a suit paid a visit to our department. With a serious and calculating look on his face, he listened attentively to my boss, who showed him around and explained to him the workflow of each team. And then, when they walked past my workstation, I heard the man said, most of these procedures could be streamlined. So what does he mean by streamlined? I asked my senior colleague who sat next to me, and then she said, well, the company is doing all it can to reduce the operation cost. So those considered unproductive would be outsourced to regions like mainland China, Malaysia, and India. So streamlined, outsourced, unproductive. I got goosebumps from these words. I had never imagined I could be laid off just because the employer aimed for cost reduction. I had bills, rent, and student loan to pay. My parents had toiled and sacrificed a lot for me for the better part of their lives. So it was time for me to repay them and live out and let them live out their old age in peace. I couldn't afford to lose my job. So, huh, in the next few weeks at work, I was on edge the whole time. I had a feeling that my boss would summon me to her office and give me my notice anytime. And this feeling took its toll on my job performance. I became less efficient and more prone to making mistakes. Later on the weekend, I had a reunion with several high school classmates that I hadn't seen for almost a decade. It was exhilarating to see all these old familiar faces. Until the point we went around the room and shared what we did for a living. So this guy was a financial advisory manager in Deloitte. That guy was an executive officer in the government. And this guy sitting next to me had just been recently promoted to be senior investigator in ICAC. You're fucking kidding me. (laughs) So my eyes widened as they announced the occupation proudly. And it was my turn. So with all eyes fixed on me, I swallowed hard and said, well, account opening, filing and data entry, you know, just a routine job in HSBC. And after I spoke, silence fell on the group. Confusion and disbelief were written all over the faces of my classmates, and then shortly one of them patted me on my back and said, it's lucky that you are not like any of us. We have to work from dawn to dusk. And then his response was met with laughter. At that moment, I felt completely out of place. I felt like a loser in the rat race. These guys, who were the same age as me, advanced so quickly in their careers that they were either senior or management, whereas I was still at the starting line and hardly made any progress at all. Again, that night, I was on edge. And on my way home from a reunion, I looked back on the year of my graduation when I was wondering and had no idea what I exactly wanted for my career. After all these years of full-time working, I had not still figured that out. And what scared me even more was that I couldn't take away any practical skills from this current mundane job that could enhance my competencies or make my resume stand out. It was a job that could be outsourced anytime or otherwise replaced by artificial intelligence easily in future. So it was too risky to pursue a career in this field. And also, I'm a young university graduate. So what a ways to be here when I should take on a more challenging and difficult role that could push myself past what I perceive as my limit and make myself more employable and competitive. So gradually, a voice rose in my head, I better get a job in a more secure and promising industry. I spent week after week looking up job hunting websites and recruitment pages of different companies and hardly got anything I preferred on my list. So it was like finding a needle in a haystack. When I almost ran out of steam, one job caught my attention. Secretary in a local university. So I look into its duties and requirements in great detail, and without the slightest hesitation, I sent my resume and cover letter. Shortly, I was invited to attend the interview, the written test, and was told to wait for updates. And let me tell you, waiting was torture. I didn't sleep well at night and even got ulcers inside my mouth. And then back at home, I called my mom and I told her all this stuff and I asked her, oh, mom, could you please tell me that'll be okay, I'll be all right, I feel like I'm dying. And then she said, sweetie, it was wise of you to stay alert and take action when something wrong happens. But you've got to be patient as you cannot expect to change your career overnight. And fortunately, you got youth on your side. But my mom's words did little to allay my fear. And I told her I had misspent my youth on the wrong career. And now I feel like I'm racing against the clock. And I have to act before it's too late. So one afternoon, my phone rang, and I got a call from the university. With a cheerful voice, this lady on the phone congratulated me and said I was offered the post. Strangely enough, I didn't say yes upon receiving this breaking news. Instead, I put her on hold and took one last moment for self-reflection. So right now, I'm working in a stress-free environment. I'm working with a bunch of people who are so helpful, kind, and tolerant as if we were a family. And I have enough private time to do whatever I want after work. But in the long run, all this will put me at a disadvantage. They won't better me as a person or a candidate in a job market. Apparently the downside always the upside. So I got back to the lady and said yes. So far, I've been a secretary for almost five months. As I have no prior experience of doing secretarial work, I'm putting in more than 100% effort at work. So hopefully I could get into the swing of it quickly. So now, I have a boss who irritates me every day. (laughs) Few colleagues who can be obnoxious to the point that I really want to strangle them in their sleep. (laughs) Don't worry, they're not here tonight, so they won't know. And also, much less downtime, because I often work till nine in the evening. So hindsight 2020 is like a turkey voting for Christmas. (laughs) But I don't regret making this career change because that fear of being laid off has finally gone. And I learn a great deal from this job every day my understanding of work, relationship, people, life, and even my own self has drastically increased. And this time, I believe, the upside outweighs the downside. Whether this is the job of my dream, um, I'm still unsure. I can't even tell whether secretary is really a secure and promising job. I guess nobody could tell. And... Honestly, and technically speaking, I'm still, you know, wondering or exploring. But at least, I've done one thing, which I believe is right. I will grow up and suffer in hell rather than enjoy my time but learn nothing in paradise. Thank you. Can we ever underestimate
0: the experiences we gain when we try new things? I think I need to agree with Charles. It's better to try new things than regret not trying at all. Our next story is a retell from Janita about a job she had years ago in the UK. From 2017, here is Janita.
2: It was time for a fresh start. Divorced, moving into a new home in a new town, and bringing up my two kids on my own. And it was also perfect timing for gearing myself up for a new job too. I'd been a commercial copywriter for about 10 years, but this new writing job was a little bit outside my comfort zone. But then maybe that was just my self-doubt kicking in, because, well, I had owned several cars, and I'd been driving for many years, so maybe I really could be... A motoring journalist. You know the kind of thing that you read in magazines. Top 10 tips of driving through snow. How to reduce your insurance premiums. And of course, the test drive. Pretty easy stuff. In fact, most motoring journalists just log on to the industry website and rewrite the day's press releases. If you're lucky, Porsche is unveiling its new concept model. A press release full of raunchy testosterone fueled vocabulary alongside the sexiest glossy shots of man's desire in metal <laughs> on the not so lucky days a tyre manufacturer is recalling some faulty retreads but a good writer can make any story about rubber sexy <laughs> if you really want to But the thing you really ought to be aiming for is the test drive. That's when you actually get to sit in a car, turn the actual key, and actually drive. It is pretty cool having a new car brought to your door with a set of keys every other week, unless it's a budget box with a paint job to match. But even that is preferable to the latest luxurious 4x4 Land Cruiser because even though the car is free the journalist has to pay for the gas. And with English gas prices and two small kids to bring up, that's no joke. I once had a tank-like Mitsubishi Shogun turn up at my door. Money was tight that month, so I took it a couple of turns around the block and parked it up for the rest of the week. But I really realized that I'd made it into the fast lane, speeding past the mediocre, when I was invited to a country hotel for a weekend new car launch. The invitation was gold embossed and promised a luxurious weekend of pampering and a gala dinner. My God, someone else was gonna cook me dinner. (laughs) So I turn up at the hotel, a fresh-faced motoring journalist with absolutely no idea what to do. Luckily, there was a press officer handing out schedules and keys, so I saunter over to her in the hope that she won't notice the imagined L-plate tattooed on my forehead. She introduces me to my test-drive partner. He says, he looks at me, and I look at him. But there's no recognition. She hands the keys to him, and I think, sexist. (laughs) I look at what's his name. She's told me his name, but I was so nervous I didn't even catch it. So, what's his name looks at me, but it turns out he's actually an ex presenter of the BBC's Top Gear. But I think that must be before the programme got popular because despite me staring at all of his features, and believe me, some of the features were rather good, (laughs) I didn't recognise him at all. He holds up the keys. Why don't you start? So I jump into the new family saloon, just in time to remember not to appear too eager because I do want to still look cool. It's just a car, right? but it's a car that still grunts and groans as I try to find reverse. But I don't think he notices. And then I edge backwards gently. Super gently. But there's no disguising the sound of a crunching fender. I look back, but but there's nothing there. And luckily there's no one else around to see either, just Mr Top Gear, who raises an eyebrow and smiles. Jesus, I haven't even got out of the car park and I've written the car off. And it's not just the car, it's my whole career that's in backwards motion, careering off a cliff. We jump out to assess the damage. And there we see a stone mushroom-shaped sculpture wedged between the wheel arch and the fender. Apparently they're put there to stop you driving on the grass, which I think is a good idea if it was more than two feet tall and not positioned in your blind spot. The rest of the journey was pretty dull by comparison. He we swap positions and he takes the car around a few bends, testing out the acceleration—pretty bog standard stuff. But I don't want to be a bog standard motoring journalist, so I ask him to pull over, and I jump in the back. You see, motoring journalists don't really consider what it's like to be the passenger in the back. And if you've got kids that are car sick, that's really important. I say intelligently. He raises an eyebrow (laughs) and smiles. Back at the hotel, we parked the car up behind a tree, um, hiding the fender in an overgrown bush. And I go back to my room and I scribble a few notes about the restricted view from the rear seats and prepare for the gala dinner. In the dining room, there's about 30 oversized men in dark suits, swapping stories of supermodels and supercars whilst getting drunk on the free booze. I'm placed next to my test drive partner, who cuts quite a dash in his dark velvet jacket It was quite a few years ago. (laughs) And we get on and we chat and we discuss life and relationships. And he tells me about his wife and his teenage son. And I tell him a little bit about my breakup and how I'm left to bring up the kids on my own because their dad ran off with another woman. And he listens intently. And he's kind and empathetic. And he says, I don't understand how a man can do that kind of thing. By which time the room has grown heavy with sweat and testosterone. So we take our conversation outside in the gardens, in the fresh air, and we make our way around the back towards the car park. And then suddenly he takes my hands and says, Come on, I've got something to show you. I really don't know where he's steering this conversation. What do you think of this? It's his car a dark blue Porsche 911. It's not a new one, but I can tell by the glee in his eyes, it has to be a classic. (laughs) Now, I'm not really sure what I'm expected to say. And then, in a swift maneuver, he holds my hands tighter and pulls me into his chest and tries to make a pass. I take evasive action and step back. He leans in close and says, We can, you know. He wants to take me on a test drive (laughs) down a dead end road where a collision is inevitable. (laughs) I raise an eyebrow (laughs) and smile. Well, I can, but you can't, because you're married. What an arse. He sits all night listening to me tell a story of how I've been betrayed and left to pick up the pieces, and then he attempts to do the exact same thing. I'd already married a lemon, and I was damned if I was going to part exchange him for another. (laughs) Maybe this wasn't such a fresh start after all. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Today's Stories, brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.